everybody, my name is Axel Villamil. Welcome back to 24 Shades of Blue. I'm here with Deputy Chief Peter Yuen. How you doing? Yeah. You doing okay? I just said I look great because you look great. Wow. Two great, good-looking Asian men in this room for Asian well, Heritage you know, Month. Now you're making me I, a little bit, uh, I, I blush. You know, at my age, uh, you know what? At least I look decent. I'm, I'm good enough with that. The jeans did well. We're, we're, no, we're happy you're here. We're excited. Um, you know, I think this is a very... Uh, 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 an interview that's close to home for me, especially with everything that's going on in the world. Um, and the fact that, you know, you're playing this role as an Asian officer is definitely something that I'm very interested in, but also uh, something that I see you as a role model for other, you know, Asian men that also want to get into that industry as well. So you just want to know what, what were your experiences uh, that maybe have differed as an Asian officer uh, in, especially in Toronto? I've been a police officer for over 33 years and um Certainly, you look at the Toronto today, uh, compared to 33 years ago, Toronto is vastly different. And I even use the, the Asian community, for, for example, uh, back in when I first arrived in Canada in the 1970s, uh, there were, no there were one, one street, it was called Chinatown. And if you want dim sum, you want barbecue pork, it was every Saturday, you have to line up. And I remember my dad taking me there and my mom, it was a treat. And it's like something that you look forward to for the whole month, because we take the bus, it would travel almost two hours to Chinatown, one street, University in Dundas. You line up to get the barbecue pork or the duck. So, and you see the city transform right in front of, in front of your eyes into where we are, the most diverse city in the world. So, it's a it's a it's a it's a feeling that is hard to describe. But you know, I'm happy that I I, I have been part of this, and I'm continuing to see the city grow. You know, why did I become a police officer? I you know it. it, it it's quite ironic. Uh, every every immigrant family, and I, I, I speak for uh, you know East Asian, South Asian, Europeans. We came here. Our parents worked twenty hours a day. You know, I was left to look after my younger brothers and sisters. So this, these are stories that are commonly shared amongst my friends. You know, when we used to play basketball, when we used to hang out after school, it was the same thing. We went home, cooked dinner for our younger brother, sister, look after them, and went went to school. We we really get to see our parents, and like every, every, everyone else, you know, my parents wanted me to be, to go to university, which I did, uh, but they wanted, they had, they, they were very narrow, narrow choices for me. I remember going back to home, uh, you know, back then we had grade 13 for the audience that had never heard of grade 13. Grade 13 was a, was a thing in yes. the past. I went home and told my parents I'm going to university and my dad said, well, that's expected of you. And I said, and then he says, <laughs> yeah, Even yeah. Then he said, what are you taking? I said, I'm going to York University to take history. Younger, I ran faster than my dad because the yeah. whip came out and says, you're not taking history. Yeah. You're taking engineering. All those right things. Stems, you want right? to be business. Your marks weren't mm -hmm. good enough to be a doctor, so, but I want you to be an engineer or a business person. I said, well, neither interests me. So there, after two years, I dropped out and it was a compromise. And I said, you know what? I want to be a police officer. And he says, why? I said, you know what? You're looking at the city. And the, the, the Chinese community is growing. And I did some homework, and there were only four Chinese officers on the job at that time. And three of them were wow. Canadian-born. They didn't speak a word of, uh, other than English. They didn't speak Chinese. Yeah. So I thought I, thought mm -hmm. I could offer something. So I, but I did make a pact with my dad and my mom. I said, yes, I dropped out, but I, I will promise you, eventually I'll finish my school. I will get that degree. It's just like you watch the NBA, you watch NFL. Some of these players that got yeah. left school early, but they, they promised their parents and the, and the community, I will exactly. get that degree. And I did. 
So that's how it began. Was it an easy journey? It was definitely not an easy journey. I was just going to ask you, like, what was the progression? You know, when I, when like I, when of, I joined the service, uh, 1987, you know, I don't think people were racist. I just don't think they got it. You know, I was the only <laughs> white, I mean, uh, non-white person in a class of, wow. But, I, but yeah. keep in mind, I grew up in Canada. You know, um, I, mm-hmm. I came here at an early age and I grew up, I, I sort of understand, you know, the, the culture a little bit. So I, so I got along a little bit and I, I, I certainly knew all the, all the derogatory terms and all the, all the racist terms. And, but <laughs> I don't think the officer yes. were meant to be racist, but they didn't understand what they were saying, how the impacts. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, notoriously, there's a stereotype, uh, Chinese, Asian people can't drive. So as a police officer, you mm-hmm. have to go through driver's training. So, you know, yes. I, like anyone else, I went for driver's training. So at the end of the day, um, you know, the whole class, is, I, I believe there are maybe one or two non-whites, but it was predominantly white, white officers. We got along. So the, the final graduation day after you're graduating driver's training. So the instructor came up to me and gave me a certificate. Hmm, that's strange. He goes, Pete, congratulations. I said, what for? You're the first Chinese officer in the history of Toronto Police Service. Got your, got certified on your first try. When you first showed up, we thought we had a headache that you'd be going to get retest, retest, retest. And then the whole class laughed. And I said, you know, okay. Yeah. And I, at that time I said, okay, this is, they really believe it was fun. Yeah. But I also knew I had to laugh to get along. Of course, yeah, it's, 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 it uh, was very it's odd, an odd uh, but I, I really don't, yeah. uh, looking back that day, I really believe there was no racist intent. They thought it was funny. They thought it was a joke, but from the recipient. But you, you, you fast forward it to ni- 2021, if this was played out today, that would not be an acceptable. Oh, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't fly. So then, you know what? Went to my first station, uh, 42 Division. Mm-hmm. 42 Division back then. It was in, it's in Scarborough, uh, Finch and Brimley. The reason I was sent there, I was told very explicitly why I was sent to 42 Division, because that, at that time in the, in the late 80s, it was the fastest growing Chinese community in the city of Toronto, and they needed a Chinese officer. So I walked into a division. I remember I was working midnight shift. The first night I was supposed to start at 11. That was my first shift. I did a little homework. 42 Division has approximately 200 officers. There was one black officer and all male white. Okay, here we go. Let's go. I walked in with my duffel bags and everything to the front desk and say, I'm reporting for duty. And then once again, I do not believe it was racism. I believe it was, that's what it was expected back then. I was told, someone from the back of the, the desk that said, we didn't order any Chinese food, man. So what? It was just the time, right? And, 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 and it's the time where that was It was, was acceptable accepted. then, but you and also it, knew, hey. Unfortunately. You felt it. You, you felt, felt it, it though. But then you, you also yeah. say to yourself, you know, I hope that I will have a career and I can make a difference. And these are things that I always say this, don't let the history define who you are. Remember what history has taught us and move forward and make it better. And those are the, those are the instances that are, were embedded in my, into my mind. And I, but I, I wasn't angry, but I think I, we needed to educate and making sure uh, our colleagues, uh, the community, understand uh, we we bring value, and it doesn't matter what community, uh, Toronto uh, being the diverse city we are, uh, each one of us brings value 
to the table and uh, to to us uh, collectively we can make make that make the city yeah. a little bit better and the police service a little bit better. No, for sure, and I think that role you know you put yourself in. Uh, I mean, me just. In my experiences, you know, I've, I've definitely felt a lot of those microaggressions where I wouldn't say anything. But I think, you know, one of the great things that you did do was put yourself in a place where Hollywood would never actually show an Asian cop. You know, it'd be like an Asian nerd or, you know, a, a somebody um, who was like a martial artist, you know, things that would fit in the stereotypical category. But you you paved the way. Right. You were, you were out of the four you know, that of, of officers starting out that were, you know, Asian Canadians. And so you were there, you know, making way for more people to be seen and feel seen, uh, in, in what they're doing. So let's, let's talk about that. You know, how has it changed since then? And then now how has the force grown with diversity? Well, as well? I, I said earlier, Axel, when I joined, there were four other Asian officers. So back yeah. then it was, a, it was very difficult to, uh, have some mentorship and, mm-hmm. You know, when you have, when you run into problems, uh, you like to go to your own group to seek some mentorship, some guidance. I, I didn't have many. So because the officer, yeah. it was very few and far between. So I, but I sought out, you know, people that I can relate to and I spoke with. And, but having said that, these 33 years has been rapidly changing. You know, I can tell yeah. you, um, we have over 200 Asian officers now and the numbers are growing and it's, it's not because of me, it's collectively the Toronto Police Service and the Asian officer, we're promoting the goodness of policing, why we need to be there, who we are, why is this as a noble professional joint? So we're seeing more Asian candidates applying. And that's, that's very positive because actually, uh, you know, uh, in the Asian heritage, uh, you know, culture, policing wasn't looked upon as a very noble profession. You know, where I came from in Hong Kong, police officers were corrupt. They were lowly educated, uh, very poor pay, and they were more of a blue collar worker and the parents and the elders were frowned upon. So this is something we had to forward that and promote what policing is all about in Canada. And we have done a great job. Our work cannot stop because I say this to you, uh, we have more than over 200 Asian officers, but that number can continue to grow because you look at uh, the population of Asian Canadians in in city of Toronto is, 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 Quite large, so and Quite certainly, uh, I, I, and I know there are a lot of qualified candidates in our community, in the community. So certainly, uh, you know, my role, and uh, you know, sometimes uh, people say you are the ambassador. Well, if I am, then it's great. But whether I am or not, it's my job to promote the serve, uh, policing as a viable profession and also attracting yeah. more of a qualified members from the Asian communities and also other communities, because I don't see myself only as an Asian Canadian promoting policing within the community. I, I see myself as a Canadian first. And then when I go there, I, I reach out to all communities say, and talk about the goodness of policing, the connections we make yeah. and, and the contributions we can make working together. Yeah. And I think the idea of being Canadian, you know, has changed, you know, over the years. Right. So you know, as much as you say you may or may not be that that um, that symbol, you existing in this role is a huge symbol, not just for the officers, but for people like myself. And you know that that see you in in, in where you are today. So you know, you, you got to be proud of yourself for that. And, and we, you know, we look up to you in that sense. Obviously, we're all looking at you like, is this rush hour too? I don't know. Uh, but you know, it, it's it's humble with uh, all the accolades. Um, you know, I, yeah. I I say this to you when I first joined a job, you know. I want to do well. I want to do good for the community. But 
However, the journey has taken me to this stage, and I, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate, and I met a lot of good people along the way. Uh, my mentors, uh, members with the Toronto Police Service and external members, community members, they have given me a lot of help. And you know what? I'll say this. Uh, some people say it uh, must be all hard work. I'll say hard work combined with a, a sprinkle of luck. Policing is all about luck. And it's the right place, right time, right opportunity. So these are all things that has to be taken in consideration. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely humble. People said I'm a role model, but I, I'll take, I say this to Axel, as a young person in the early twenties, I did not say to myself, "I'm going to be a role model." If that is someone that see, seeing if I brought value to individuals or, or groups, and they see that in me, then I'm extremely humble and honored. Because you came from it organically, right? You're just trying to do your job. You know, and that, I, I and think that's most, what it's of, most our officers uh, join with the simple is to work with the community, enhancing public safety and keeping the citizens of Toronto safe. How, what, what role, what rank, what position you get to, it, I don't, I, I personally can relate. It wasn't on my mind. I want to do the best I can. And also, Absolutely. I want to get home every day safe because knowing policing exactly. could have could take a drastic turn any moment when you're out there of course. responding to, uh, you know, the public's request for help. Yeah, let's talk about that, though. I, you know, it, you told me, you know, in our pre-interview, we chatted about how you were working as an undercover cop. And, you know, you told me you had quite some heavy experiences. And I wanted to chat about that on, on how that was for you, um, not just, I guess, in your career, but emotionally. How was that? 1980s. And that it coincided with the rise of the Asian organized crime in this city of Toronto. So if you look at it from 1989 to approximately 2000, that was the pinnacle, I would say the golden years. And it's, it's, it's hard to associate crime with golden years, but those 10 years were the most violent, disruptive years yeah. of Asian organized crime. You know, Axel, thank you. Say so you say I was, I'm a pretty good looking guy. And when I was young, I did. You know, I did hang out, you know, on the basketball courts, on the pool halls. So I got a little yeah. bit of street smart. So my boss has said, mm, we needed someone to be undercover. The guy, and the best of all, the guy speaks the lingo. He knows. Absolutely. And he knows how to play all these different uh, Asian gambling uh, games. I said, wow, this is tailor-made. Got oh, your it's Mahjong not Mahjong is, is, for the, is for the lower tier. Oh, yeah. that's the soft ones, older. Back then it was yeah, the Pai Gao. Yeah, so Pai Gao. That we, Pai Gao and this guy can speak English and can speak Chinese and can, can play Pai Gao. He can go to these things and do, and also he can do a lot of things. So I was involved in, so they, they, they picked me and I did a lot of undercover play for the TPS because uh, they, they, they couldn't find anyone. And then maybe I was stupid enough because I watched too many uh, Chinese movies. Uh, <laughs> because what, if you do more, you, because always in Chinese movie, Axel, uh, they, if you are an undercover officer, you make a big bus, you get promoted quickly. So I said, okay, let's go. Exactly. You know, this is good for me. So, yeah. so I've been involved with, uh, you know, buying counterfeit money, buying counterfeit credit cards, mm -hmm. drugs, whole host of things. And certainly going into uh, gaming houses to collect evidence. So and do a lot of these transactions. So, you know, uh, I, 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 I enjoyed it, but I hit that away from my parents. Yeah. And at that time, my girlfriend, because yeah. I did not want them to do, know that. No. You were no. the, the most because dangerous also people. You know, no, yeah. any of undercover play, no matter how mundane it is, that could be your last last play that you you perform. Of course. So, you know, it was a very, very mundane to me in 1990. Uh, you know, the you, know you, you talk about, you, you, it's still, you know, it's still vividly, it's in my mind. 
beside my mind. I, it will never get it out of my mind and uh, my data bank. Uh, 1990, April 13th, Friday. Wow. All the settings are there, right? Friday the 13th, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was asked right to go now, into yeah. a gaming house uh, to, to collect some evidence. Uh, to me, going in there as an undercover to, to play Pi Gao, to do all this stuff and to collect evidence on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 in terms of danger level, that's a zero. I can do that in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I yep. went there, you know, but, you know, it's like a movie, you know, but when I left the house and I said, to, I said bye to my girlfriend, I said, to go and have a good night. She doesn't know. She thought I was going to work, right? In uniform. Uh, I said, yeah, I got this bad yeah. feeling in my stomach. What are you talking about? I may not come home tonight. She goes, what are you talking yeah. about? Just don't be an idiot, right? She, what does that feeling feel you, like? You talk about this. You know, just this eerie feeling. There's some, there's a, there was a knot in my stomach. I said, something may not go right. I just said to her, you know, yeah. I gave her a kiss and I said, hmm, I may not come home tomorrow. Remember me. What are you talking about? Wow. Go away. You know, she just said, you know, go away. Don't be, don't be such a <laughs> yeah, joke. Go right? away. You're being. So, yeah, you know, when it, uh, you know, I, I can talk about this for hours. Uh, anyway, the, the play went bad. And, uh, and mm-hmm. the place, the place were 40 people in a, in a place gambling. And we were just hot and heavy gambling. I'm just doing my stuff, you know. And then the place got robbed. By four individuals. Wow. With firearms. Oh my God. What was going through your head? I need to survive. Because undercover, one of the things that I was taught is no matter what happened, you will get yourself out of their life. And so I, I train, I do have occasion to speak to future undercover officers. And some of the officers asked me, Pete, what is, the, what is undercover officer? I said, Under, being an undercover officer is being a, the best actor you can be. You got to play that role. If, you, if yeah. you're a big, big, high, high, big roller, then you're a big roller. If you buy counterfeit money, then you're into the counterfeit. You're in the drug business. You have to know the lingo and you act like it because you got to be convincing. So that night, un- usually during undercover work, we don't bring our badge in. But that night I brought my badge in. I'll, I'll tell you why. There was a little spin because I was good because we knew this gaming house was international control because it had money from Hong Kong, Macau. I was yeah. going to play a corrupt cop. Wow. Oh, so I was going to lose a, a lot of money, and then I'm going to ask to see the house manager. And when I see the house manager, I'm going to take out my badge and says, listen, I don't want to talk to you. Take me to your big guy. I want in. Oh. That was the play was bigger than just a simple gaming house takedown. Love the that. guys came in. I said, you know, I said, holy whatever, you know? I said, this is not good. <laughs> Four guys with handguns? Like, this is not a movie. So, so they ordered us to, into a, it was a warehouse setting. So we all had to face to kneel down and, you know, with, with our heads down. And they, one guy took a, took a duffel bag and asked us to empty all belongings into the bag. Mm-hmm. And I did not empty my badge. So he, he felt my backside. He said, he felt empty that. that. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. They're going to take their stuff and they're going to leave. They didn't. Yeah. I said, I mean, what, you know, you guys say, what, what do you mean they didn't? They didn't. After they got all our belongings, they stood there and started looking through their inventories. Oh, oh we got a Rolex watch. We got, oh, a, we yeah. got $2,000 yeah. here. And, they, and then that's when oh, they took out my badge. And mm-hmm. I still remember vividly. He says, there's a cop in here. You want to introduce yourself? That was in Chinese. I said, I said to myself, hell no. And he yeah, says, not. okay. I guess we have to 
be a little bit more entertaining for you to entertain, for you to introduce yourself. He grabbed the girl next yeah. to her, next to him, and put and put the gun to her head and said, "I'm gonna count to ten. Identify." You know oh what? My God. I think that I'm a, I'm a cop. My job when I swore the oath yeah. of office is to protect life. My life is not. I have to put my life for this, to protect the citizens. So I, I stood up. Said I'm the cop. So he made me go in front of them. There were three of them and one guy watching the door. Then I was. They told me to new, uh, get on my knees and they kicked the whatever out. They, you know, they, they start beating on me. And then he said, beg. Beg for your life. And these things will never go away. Beg for your life. I said to me, myself, I remember in training school, never beg for your life. And I was going to say this. I had some pride and I was stubborn. There were 40 yeah. people or 50 people in that room. If this is the last breath I take it on this, on this earth, I'm not going to go away as a coward. I'm not going to beg for my life. I said, do as you will. Yeah. Of you course. put the gun in my yeah. mouth and pull the trigger. The gun jammed. And that gun was recovered later on that evening and had my saliva sample on the barrel. Whole after that incident, after I that, that's when the doorman says, the whole place been surrounded by cops. Let's get the hell out of here. So that's how they left me. I was able to walk out of there. You know what? I'm speaking with you right now, Axel. You cannot yeah. tell, but I can tell you there's motions rushing through me. My whole body is chill right now because you never forget that moment when you're looking down at a gun, a gun is in your mouth and the guy pulls the trigger and you, he you hear that click and then you're still living. You know, a lot of people, a lot of the officers, and what got me really upset when I went out and told the officers, they said, nah, you were just hallucinating. That never happened. Never happened. And then when they found the gun, they got my saliva sample on the barrel. Peter, what a story. You know what? I'm going to do the best I can. Someone says, you go quit? I said, no. I'm destined for here. The reason I didn't go, someone up there wants me to stay here. My job's not done. I don't know what job that is. I'm not a deeply religious person. I was raised a Catholic boy. But I'm not you know, practicing Catholic. But I said, you know, someone is sending me a message. My time on this planet, on this earth, is not done. Continue your, with your work. I'm working really hard to try to talk here because I'm very speechless at this situation, but you're right. I think somebody's looking down, you know, whatever or whoever, whatever that is. So when it clicked, let's talk about that real quick, if that's okay. What was in your head? Did you, did you say, I can't believe that, or did you even register that it jammed or you're I just not register anything? I just know why am I still here? And You're then uh, there shock, was chaotic, right? people are crying, people are screaming. And then, uh, and and then I just heard yeah. the guy from the door says, let's get the hell out of here. The place is surrounded by cops. Because anytime you do an undercover play, you have your backup officer. So I'm obviously my backup officer saw what was going on. So the, the ETF, yeah. all the cavalrys attend, uh, arrive and they, and then they, you know, these, these, these bandits got away and, um, and then it was a car pursuit. They were all apprehended. Were no, you wired or anything? That. Could they hear? No, they just, so you they just they saw just four knew guys something was bad. barged in with guns and they knew something happened in there. So, so that's what happened. You know what? I want to fast forward. Uh, you know, this is what made me so committed with our new with our generation officers. That night, I drove home alone. No one, no one cared. 
after I came out of that gaming house, I went to the hospital and got checked out. Back then, there were yeah. no psychological help. There were no wellness. They said, you're okay. They gave me a pack of smoke and, and go home. Yeah, go home. I don't cry. Yeah. I cried standing in the shower by myself. My girlfriend was in bed. And I almost, my words about 10 hours ago almost came true. I never came home. And then after I went back to work three days, my boss told me, get back to work. That's enough. We're wow. tough. We're police officers. So I'm so committed looking after the well-being of our members, making sure if they go through a traumatic incident, they get all the help, all the support they need. No one should be left alone. Never. Never. Like, Peter, you, you saved somebody's life, though, that day, right? If I did, great. You know what? Um, but there was also anger because the people that were there, they were, they, were, they were egging on the guy to shoot me. Because they were, but I, I did not understand why I'm trying to save your lives. And these people are yelling, shoot the cop, shoot the cop. Now, you know, looking back, they were just self-preservation because they don't want to die. So they want someone to die. So I understand, but at that time I was angry. I was angry, but there weren't a lot of people to speak with. Remember I told you there were only four Asian officers. And so True. it was, you know, I, when, I, when I speak about this, I get emotional, I get choked up and I get a little angry. Mm. But angry, yeah. and I always say, don't let, my, don't let the past define who you are moving forward. I want to turn that anger and making sure our officer has the best connected help, wellness, psychological help. Absolutely. I mean, you just came, you know, from living and breathing something that was so violent. Now you're seeing something like this happen to, I guess, our own people, you know, especially in the times that we're living in right now because of COVID, because of the, the crimes that are happening because of the, the, the racism that's happening to Asians. And now that there's this huge representation of Asian officers, how are you, as well as, you know, clearly you are a mentor to them. How are you and the rest of the team um, dealing with the, the ongoing increase of violence, especially in the U.S.? You know, just some stats that we have is that 45% of Asian adults say they've experienced racist incidents towards them. And in some parts of Canada, it's gone up by sure. 350%. So- like, well, I want to know you know your what? thoughts on Racism that. is not today's phenomena. It's been with us for many years. No. And it's funny, just before you go on, I felt the exact same way. When everything happened, I said to myself, I was like, this is nothing new. Nothing new. Right? You know what? It's a lived experience, uh, not only for Asian Canadians, uh, the Black Canadians, Indigenous, uh, LGBTQ2S, they all experience that. So when people say, wow, how you feel? No, you should have asked me 20 years ago. 30 years ago. But one thing we do need to, as a, as a community, as a nation community, I'll speak to that now, is for us to understand our past. If you don't understand your past, you cannot relate to the current context. And I've been speaking with a no. number of officers. I said, what happened in Canada? What happened to OPM? Mm -hmm. What happened to our forefathers that came here with the head tax? Understand our historic context. Then understand the barriers, the challenges, and then understand your history, understand your roots. You cannot yeah. speak on racism or barriers in isolation. It has to be a continuum. Understand what you have, to, where we've been, how we were treated, how we progress, how we, how we work with, the, with different groups, and then not take it to a current context. Myself, personally, I know there's a need to, to be that voice and also yeah. to encourage people that have a voice to speak up for people that do not have the voice or may not want, may be afraid to have that voice, their, their voice is heard. So it's my job, it's my duty. 
and even yes. from a language barrier. You know, you have you have sons and daughters working. So, to speak you know, I met with a large group of Asian officer, and I'm very clear with them. Understand our past, and I speak with my my officer. I said, you know, you guys got kids. What do they What do they know about the last spike? He said, what What are you talking about? What is the last spike? Is it a volleyball move? I said, no. Go to Go to BC. Uh, British Columbia and visit Last Spike. You stand there, it's surreal. This is where Asian Canadians were brought over here, paying head tax, cannot see their families. This is where the Last Spike was laid. And to see the picture, when the Canadian railroad was built, not a single Chinese person was in that photograph. And ask yourself, these are our our forefathers. Understand their struggles. They paved the way for us. So now you're experiencing Asian hate or racism. Remember who they were. Mm-hmm. Honor, their, honor their, their past. And now it's your turn to speak up. But if you don't know the context, you will not be able to speak up. So it's my job and I Absolutely. will do as many, you know, informal, formal, have conversations and talk about this. But it's not only about Asian hate. It's a hate period. You see it with the Jewish community, with the black community. So this yeah. kind of things has to be eradicated and has to be continued conversation. It's not a one time we talk about Asian Heritage Month. Okay, Black History Month. These are, should be an everyday yeah. conversation. Yeah, I mean, I I really just felt shocked and almost, you know, absolutely horrified by the, the hate and the videos you're going to see. But again, it's just something that I've always known. And explaining that to people who are um, not Asian, uh, was very difficult for me because they're like, what do you mean? I'm like years and years and years of microaggressions build up to, to a bunch of things. And it, it was hard because, um, you know, I was in the same um, position as you as a child, whereas my parents, you know, you're going to go in the stems, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> but clearly, as you see, that didn't happen. I, I, I used them to create, you know, three companies and, you know, I went in a different route. But I think with the things with hate, with all the things we're talking about, it's about changing the narrative. And by you being in your position, you sharing that, that very emotional story. Um, it's for us to all understand and see that there's many different avenues of not of just because you're Asian doesn't mean you just fit in one role. And just because you're Asian doesn't, or, or black or white Latino, you know, um, whatever you are, you don't have to be defined to one thing. And I think you being here today through that story clearly shows that that's not the case. And, you know, I want to talk more about how you and what you do on the forest transcends to the rest of the communities uh, that aren't just Asian. You know, I want to talk about that, what you do with that. I I really believe in uh, being genuine, being compassionate and have that willingness to work with community. Uh, You know, you, you, you you listen to a little bit of uh, what my past was, but throughout my career, I have invested myself and I want to work with the community because until we get to know who we're working with and our community members, doesn't matter where you come from, the policing will always lack, will be sort of uh, reactive. We have to be proactive and the community has to have a buy-in. And one of the things that I, I am very, very uh, cognizant is we cannot prescribe policing. We don't want, you know, it's like I told you so, this is the way we do it. In the past, it was. Yeah. It can't do that anymore. Everything we do as a police service has to be through consultation by consent from our, from our community members, how they would like to be policed. And that's not even the word because some people will say, how would you like to be policed? Hang on a minute. That's 
just by having that that narrative, you're exhibiting certain superiority over individual. My language is: How would you like us to provide services to to the community? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's important. It's really important for me, and this is something that I I stress and uh, every day. And I pride myself that I can walk into all communities and say, "This is who I am," and they get to know me. And they and I and I've done it, and I I will continue to do so. I can walk into any any community, whether rich, you know, fam- rich and famous or racialized. They know who Pete Ewan is, and that's when I when I, when I get that acknowledgement, I know we're connecting. If we can connect as human being, then the there's the work ahead will not be done. It's extremely important to me, and this is where I, you know, if I if I do mentoring, if I speak with young people, and this is the is about connecting with people. You know, you you cannot if you don't connect, then all's lost because it's not us versus them. You know, this is not. You know, a lot of people look at uh, the police officer. You guys are warriors. We're not warriors. We're service providers. Let's get let's get that get that clear. You know, warriors is very much a violent colonial type of talk. This is, we're, we're 2021. You know, actually, I, I, you're much younger than I, but I don't want my child, my son, who's 24 years old. And, you know, speaking about my son, uh, I just, I am shocked because he, he was a typical Chinese kid. He went and got engineering degree. I can, I am shocked. I said, okay. Like, okay. And he got a <laughs> honors in engineering. I said, okay. And then uh, <laughs> you're like the most woke about, Asian parent a, a year ago, I've ever met. So. He came home and said, mom and dad, I want to talk. I said, oh, no, not what? And he puts a form in front of me. I just joined the Toronto Police Service. You're like, I, I said, you know, you're like, stop it. Stop it. This is like, this is, it, it was New Year's Day, 2020, 20, 2020, New Year's Day. This is a joke, right? You went to school, you were. All this stuff, you did all this work, smart kid, and then you never told me that you want to be a police officer. Yeah, then really. Yeah. So now he's been a police officer for six months now. I'm very proud of him. Um, That's amazing. But I don't want in two in 2035. Axel is still in the business and interview my son and talk about Asian hate, Asian mm-hmm. racism, or anything else. Yeah. This yeah. cannot continue. We have to make a difference. So when someone asks me, what does Asian Heritage Month mean to me? It's about our history, understanding. It's about our present. It's about our future, our our present, what we do, how we do it, set the tone for the future. And the future is where I don't want to talk about this in 30 years, if I'm still alive, or my son is still on the job as a police officer and talking to the next Axel or Axel in person Mm -hmm. about this again then we've gone full circle. We have not done anything. Damn right. Now, if are there any organizations that Toronto Police, just to wrap up here, that they work with in regards towards Asian numerous Asian, uh, like We work with the Chinese Cultural Center. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we will be producing a series of videos to celebrate Asian Heritage Month from community members, uh, from Senator, Senator Vivian Poi, who was the first fine lady who proclaimed, who introduced the bill. Uh, for Asian Heritage Month 20 years ago. So we work with Chinese Cultural Center, youth groups such as Vision Youth. And we also work with seniors because we never can forget the seniors. They were the one that paved the way. Like uh, 
you know, Mangshang, Yihong, and uh, Care First. So yeah. We work with a lot of agencies, uh, even, but we don't exclusively work with Asian organizations that promote Asian Heritage Month. We go into different shelters. We go into, uh, we go into uh, food banks and making sure everybody, because we want to be inclusive. It should Absolutely. be, it should not be Asian Heritage Month, Black History Month. Every day should be inclusive, talking about these issues that matters to all of us. Absolutely. End of the day, we want to get away from hate. We want to go and make sure again, like you said, we don't want to be mm -hmm. talking here again in, in 30 years about the same thing. We got to hear, be here for the change. And I just want to thank you and the rest of the team here wants to thank you for sharing your amazing story. Everybody, Peter Yuen, my name is Axel Villamil and that's 24 Shades of Blue. We're out.